Hello, everyone. Good to have you back again this Sunday as we're continuing on our study in the book of 1 John. Uh, I hope you've come to love that book the way I do. It has been an inspiration to me for I cannot tell you how long. Um, I remember probably 40 years ago, I started reading it and studying it and memorizing it and everything and uh, used it in so many ways because it just inspires me. It tells me how I ought to live and what God expects of me. And it does it in a very simple way. And it's a very short book, as I keep mentioning every week, that it's only about 16 minutes if you read it at a normal speed. Now, those of us that are slower reading, it may take us 20 minutes. And some little speed readers might do it in less than 15. But nevertheless, if you think about how much we're investing in our spiritual whole of our spiritual life, that short period of time is something we can repeat again and again and again. And I have suggested several times that if you really want to get the impact of this book, that's the way to do it. It's like a, it's like a bucket filled with sticks of dynamite. You, can't, you have to be careful in terms of don't uh, uh, miss getting that stick out too because the Bible has so many things in 1 John to tell us Jesus, the Father, through John, is trying to explain to us some of the greatest and deepest principles that we have in the Bible. So anyway, today we're uh, finishing up where we did last week. We were working on chapter 3, and I'd like to get back to chapter 3, and I'd like to back up a couple of verses. We got down through verse 16, but I'd like to back up a couple of verses to pick up the context of what's going to be uh, covered here. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll read with me as we begin reading in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know, that's some pretty serious language, isn't it? That we if we don't love our brothers and sisters, then we abide in spiritual death. Obviously not physical death, because a lot of folks go through life and never love others, and never even some, they're born brethren. But it's the spiritual death that occurs when we don't. We have to be very careful about what we do with our heart and how we take care of it. But here it says that, that if we love not our brother, then we abide in death. Then the next verse, verse 15, says, Whoever hateth, now we've gone from just not loving, whosoever hateth his brother, and listen to these words, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That's powerful. To think that God's view of us hating each other is to be on the same par in his heart and mind as us going out and killing someone. Now this may be, we may think of this as a hyperbole, in other words, a magnified principle so that we might understand the basics, basis behind it. So we can at least assume from that context that God highly prizes our love for each other. And he holds deep contempt for those who hate their brethren 
and demonstrate that by the way they live because that's what he's going to be talking about as we, get, as we go through this section. And he, after he says he is a murderer and, hath, and no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So our very soul's eternal existence is at least partially tied up in our attitude toward each other. And these next verses that we're going to be reading emphasize this point and remind us that this is serious business. This is not just mild, you know, do good to your neighbor today. This is serious. And finally, he says in this section leading up, we're going to be beginning in just a moment in verse 17, which is where we start, left off last week. But in verse 16, he says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now here's how we're going to know God loves us. Because he laid down his life for us. If you want to know how to know that Jesus loves you, know this, that Jesus went to the cross for you, for me. The God of this universe was willing to sacrifice his only son that we could have eternal life. We talk about the phrase cheap grace. The way some of us practice Christianity could be described more like living by the principle of cheap grace. In other words, it's a good thing to go to church. It's a good thing to have friends and neighbors and treat people decent and everything. And, um, you know, we'll go to heaven someday. Cheap grace. But the truth is, is that the grace of God that makes it possible for us to be able to live eternally with Him is the most precious price that could ever be paid when God sacrificed Jesus so that we could have the hope of heaven. How amazing that is. Well, that brings us now down to verse 17, which is where we really left off last week. So let's begin in 17 and notice some of these other great principles that we're going to be reading from here to the end of the chapter. Verse 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Jesus died on the cross for us. He gave up heaven itself to save us. If we will not do these little things for the same people that Jesus sacrificed heaven and his life and the torture that he went through on the cross, he sacrificed all of that to save that brother, that sister, you and I. So the principle is, is that if we turn right around and we are able to help, whoso hath this world's good, we're able to help assist either with our monetary uh, blessings that God has given us or our health where we could go out and visit uh, or our 
knowledge that someone needs a pat on the back or some encouragement, when we know all of these things and they're all available to us, and we, in the face of Jesus' sacrifice for us, in the face of God's willingness to give us His Son, if we go ahead and act in a callous way, an uncaring way, to our brothers and sisters, God looks at that not only in a way that He would just shake His head, but I know he must look at us and say, how can one of my own act that way after what I've done? Think about that. Verse 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap. It's easy for us to say and talk about like how we love each other and how we love God and how we love righteousness and all of that. But talk is cheap. I don't care about what you say. And you shouldn't care about what I say. The real question is, what do you do? What do I do in the face of God's unbelievable love and sacrifice for me? How do I act? What is it about that that motivates me to change my way of living and to give myself to the Father? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But now when we get down to verse 19, it continues on these powerful principles. Listen to verse 19. And hereby, in other words, by this, and hereby we know that we are of the truth. Do you know? Are you sure you're saved? Are you, sure, are you sure that you're God's child? Am I? How do we know that we are one of those in the truth? That we are acceptable to God? That we really are His child? Well, he says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him so we can have this confidence when he goes on, for if our heart condemn us, if our own heart condemns us, if our own heart says to us even, we don't love like we should, we don't care like we should, we don't obey the Lord as we should. So if our heart condemn us, remember, that middle part of verse 20, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. It's a sad thing, but I think most of the world and many of us in the church live as though God doesn't know what's going on here. He's up there in heaven somewhere having a good time and we're just down here doing our thing. But it's obviously that that's not the case. God knows every. Thing I do. God knows every breath I take. God knows my every heartbeat. There's nothing that crosses my mind that God has not read first there. There is no deceiving God. There's no trickery that we can pull off to somehow make the point that God doesn't really know what's going on. No, God knows. 
And he knows more than just our outward actions, which is sometimes in the church we focus so much attention on. In other words, I don't want the brethren to think I'm this or I think I'm that, so I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do this or not going to do that. That's all well and good, but it misses the point. The point here is that God knows. God knows where our heart is. God knows our heart as he knows what we do. But he goes on to say in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. We have the ability to take God's word and compare it with our lives. Compare it with what we do and see whether or not we are doing what God wants us to do. That's the whole basis of Christianity. It's not that we are just going mindlessly by like animals or like cows in the middle of a pasture where we don't know what's going on. We just eat the grass in front of us. No. We know whether or not we are doing our best to live the way God wants us to live. And so the point is, if our hearts don't condemn us, if we can look at ourselves and see that and we pray for forgiveness for the things that we may have missed and things we didn't do that maybe we should have done or vice versa, the things we did do we shouldn't have done and we're penitent and prayerful, then we have confidence before God. We can know that if we died today, if you had a heart attack right now, you wouldn't have to face that death in fear. But you could be, as he says here, as we could have confidence toward God that we've been living and we've been acting and we've been doing what God wants us to do. Now, if you have this confidence, if you have this way of living where you can walk each day with your head held high because you know you're making every effort to follow uh, the Lord to do like Jesus did, to be what God wants us to be. Now, if that's what we know, then we have confidence in something. In verse 22, he says, and whatsoever we, that is the ones who are living that way, who are acting that way, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Why? because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing to him. We cannot earn our salvation by any stretch of the imagination. You can never be good enough to go to heaven on your goodness. You can never love enough to go to heaven on your love. When it all boils down to it, these things like love and obedience are response to the love God has for us, not our way of earning. You can't earn your salvation. I can't earn my relationship with God by the way I live and the things I do. That, if I did everything in the Bible perfectly, I would still be an unprofitable servant. I've been forgiven by the blood of Christ for all the evil I've done in my lifetime and now I'm his child. I can never make up 
ground. I, if I never sinned another time, what do I do about the sins before? Years ago, I heard an illustration that preacher was trying to explain this and, and tell us how that, you know, we should do the right thing. So he had his son one day, was explaining this to him, and he said, son, let me show you this. And he took a hammer and he took a nail and he said, I'm gonna, we're gonna put a nail in this post, or I want you to put a nail in this post every time you do something wrong, something you shouldn't do. Now, if you turn around and do something you should do, something, you know, extra maybe, and you can go up to that same fence post and pull a nail out. You put a nail, nail a nail in when you do something you shouldn't or don't do something you should, but when you do act right and when you do behave the way that you know you should, then go up to that fence post and pull a nail out. After so many months, the son wanted to have his father brag on him. And he brought his dad out to that fence post. And he said, see, Father, there's not a single nail in this fence post. Not a one. But his father looked at him. He says, that's true. But look at all of the holes. You see, the salvation that Jesus Christ came to bring is in essence to fill in all those holes because we deserve, no matter if we're living great today, we deserve separation from our Almighty Father because how we have done. That's the reason we need to have been saved. We were lost. We were separated from our God by those holes in the fence posts by our previous sins. You can stop doing bad things today. If you live perfectly from this day forward and you're from the world, you could still never be saved. You would still be eternally lost. Well, but I did good ever since I made that decision. I've not committed a single sin. That may be true. But what about the nail holes? What about the life before then? You see, there's not a single sin in the category of sins that can be forgiven without the blood and sacrifice of the Son of God. So how wonderful it is that we have this. He goes on then to say in verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of his son Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. We cannot make up for all the things we've done in the past. We cannot erase our sins from before. But God does expect us to pick up from where we are and do our very best to love one another and to keep his commandments. We will still make mistakes. We will still fumble and fall. But how wonderful it is to know that because we're his child, we have forgiveness. 
because we do our very best to keep his commandments. Now, as we get down to verse 24, we see something a little bit different. We have the focus on a different way of looking at sins and things that are right and wrong. Verse 24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments, he that keepeth his commandments, remember that ETH that I've been talking about over these several weeks? Again, it means, and he that keeps on keeping his commandments. It's not enough not just to do a right thing. It's not enough just to become a child of God. It's not enough just to be forgiven of our sins for the past sins, but we must face the fact that every day we live, our relationship to God demands that we keep on keeping his commandments. And the person who does that, it says, has this reward. If you keep on keeping his commandments, you dwell in him. That person dwelleth in him. And even more beautifully coming back is that Jesus, God, dwells in me. When the Holy Spirit of God fills us at the point we become children of God and dwells within us, it, it, it is God dwelling in us. And isn't it a wonderful thing that God is just not some being up in the far reaches of the universe away from us, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit today, in every faithful child of God's life, today we can say, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is currently keeping on dwelling in me. Remember again that ETH? He abides with us. He abideth in us. And he does so because the sign of his son's sacrifice and the stamp of approval that he has put on us still exists on us. And that is that we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us as God's stamp of approval that we have become his children. Now, in a different sermon and a different time, we talk about how that we can suppress the Spirit, how we can, how we can shame the Spirit, even be willing to... Um, make evil statements about the Spirit because of what we say and what we do. But the beautiful thing is that right here and now, and at this point in time, when we're faithful children of God, God's stamp of approval is placed on our hearts by the fact that He has sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Now, I know we can't feel Him. He's not going to give us indigestion. He's not going to knock on us and everything or move around and sort of indicate that he's there. But we know that he is abiding in us when the fruit of his existence in us continues to come forth. The fruit of the Spirit, meaning 
The way we live, the things that we do, the actions we take, the expressions of love we give to our brothers, the way we care for the lost, we care, we care for those that's hungry in need of us, the way we act is the proof that the Spirit of God that He gave us is still dwelling within us. What about you? Can you look at your life and what you're doing and what you're not doing and see God's Spirit dwelling in you? Is that possible? It's sad when we don't really recognize ourselves as being a child of God. When our disobedience seems to outweigh our obedience. Well, one thing has got to be true. If we can't fool ourselves, we're definitely not going to be fooling God. And how sad it is after God has done all that he's done, and Jesus has done all that he's done, and the Spirit's come and dwelt within us as he has done, is that we end up, because of our lack of appreciation for that, and in essence, kicking the Spirit out of our life by the way we live and things we do. And he goes on to say in verse 4, we'll cover a few more verses in this to get the context of that. Verse 4 says, Believe, but Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Part of the testimony that we have that we are a child of God is how we react to people who lie about God, who lie about His Word, who preach those things and teach those things that are contrary to the will of God. And part of that comes when we believe those who are teaching things that's contrary to the Spirit. God expects us to be able to understand the Bible. Now, I know some of us may say, well, I, I just don't know how to understand it. God gave us the book to be understood. Now, are there some things that's hard to be understood? Yet, the Bible tells us clearly there are some things hard to be understood. But the point is, is that everything that the child of God needs to stay faithful with God is clear. On the day of judgments, we're not going to be able to plead, as some might do it in a court of law, ignorance of the law. We've been given the law of God. We've been given the example of Christ. And we know whether or not we are acting in accordance with the words of the Spirit or not. Are you? Are you living today with the blessing of the Father because you have looked in your heart, you've tried the spirits that are in you, and you're sure that the, what you're doing is living as best you can according to the Holy Spirit of God and His Word? Well, if you are, then you have the promise of God that the blood of His Son will keep on, keeping on, cleansing you of your sins. How wonderful, how great it is to know that and to believe that. Well, let's close in prayer from our lesson today. Gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your love and mercy 
that you have been willing to give us not only your Son and your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, but you gave us the words of the Holy Spirit that is to guide us so that we can each have these words as we've been doing today to read them and to follow them and to let them shape us into the kind of person that you want us to be. The example of Christ and his teachings tell us what you expect of us. We're so thankful, Father, that you loved us so much. You would sacrifice the best of heaven, your only begotten son, and that you would leave behind after he ascended back to you, he left behind his spirit through his word and his operation in us that we are your children and we have the promise of eternal life with that spirit which dwells within us. Thank you, Father. May we always remember these things. May we trust in Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.